0: Throughout Paul's life, after his conversion, he suffered for the preaching of the gospel. Um, he was preaching the radical message that Jesus was the Son of God, and that the Gentiles were included in this uh, promise, in God's plan of salvation. Uh, the Jews didn't like it, and they caused a fuss. The Romans didn't like it uh, either. And so Paul spent a fair bit of his time in prison, um, <laughs> The rest of the time, he was travelling around, kind of, I guess, watching his own back, and um, you know, knowing that it was just a matter of time um, before before he lost his freedom again. But he, he kept on preaching the gospel. So you can imagine why this might be a discouragement to the church. The Gentiles already felt like they were second-class citizens um, to the Jews. And now it looks as if their gospel and their God um, were second-class too. What kind of God would allow his preacher to get locked up? Uh, what, what we want to hear from people elsewhere is, is encouragement, really, isn't it? I don't know if any of you get letters from missionaries in different parts of uh, the UK or the world. But when we get those letters, what, what we really want to hear is you know, uh, encouraging things, don't we? We want to hear about people becoming Christians. We want to hear about um, yeah, people's, people's attitudes changing and churches growing and ministries growing. Um, and it might, be, it might be tempting to leave out the hard parts. You know, the ministries which are not going so well. And the, the groups that are, are shrinking. And then the, the difficulty of sharing the gospel. Maybe the, the anger or antagonism of people in that place. When we, when we hear of those things, we might be tempted to think that you know, the gospel doesn't work. Maybe God is not really in control. Uh, But Paul doesn't shy away from talking about his suffering. He doesn't ignore it and pretend that it's not happening. He doesn't pretend that everything is absolutely fine. He's realistic about it. He puts it plainly. He's a captive. He's lost his freedom. He's suffering because of the gospel. But it's not a reason to be discouraged. In fact, I think the turn of this section As as we read it, is is the absolute opposite of that. Paul is excited, and he's hopeful, and he's joyful in the face of hardship. His words are just oozing with joy. There's no hint of resentment. He doesn't complain. He doesn't moan. But he's overflowing uh, with amazement and thankfulness to God for his position. I guess there's two extremes we can go to in suffering, right? We can we can ignore it, and we can pretend that it's not happening. You know, stiff up a lip. We'll just grin and bear it. Uh, and I guess the other extreme is that it becomes the absolute centre of our attention and it, it paralyses us, it stops us from doing anything else. And I think Paul um, strikes a great balance. He's, he's in the middle of those two things. So I think, I think one thing we see is that Paul's joy... Is not dictated by his earthly circumstances. Uh, His his joy is not dictated by his earthly circumstances. Instead, his joy is dictated by his heavenly standing. So, in earthly terms, he's a prisoner, he's captive, uh, he's not free, but in Christ, verse 12, he is free. He's free to approach God, he's joyful. (laughs) Because he's not bound by the chains of sin anymore. That is a fact that is fixed in place. It is eternal and it doesn't change. Of course, it makes sense for him and for us to focus on that rather than on the temporary changing up and down nature of our earthly lives. Uh, Paul's joy is uh, ultimately uh, in God's grace. He knows that uh, because of his sin, God's wrath is on him, God's wrath being his settled, controlled anger, and that, that, is, that is on Paul because of his sin. He was deserving of help, and Paul knew this as well as anyone. If you look down at verse 8, uh, he calls himself less than the least of all God's people, because he was the worst persecutor of the early church before he was converted. His whole mission was going around locking up and killing Christians, but he knows God's grace. He knows God 's undeserved kindness towards him, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of his sin is forgiven. I guess he's you could say he 's making some kind of value judgment here. yes the, the, the displeasure of uh, being in prison is far outweighed by the joy of knowing God. Uh, being in prison is minus a hundred on some kind of like arbitrary value scale. Um being a recipient of God's grace is like it's plus infinity. you know we can't we can't put numbers on it, but the point is that it is so much higher uh, than anything else. Paul calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. Obviously that word unsearchable. It doesn't mean you can't Google it. It means boundless, it means it's infinite. It means it's too big to comprehend. I don't know if you've seen in the news that um, uh, Apple, the technology company, Uh, broken a record uh, in the last quarter of 2014 for the the biggest profit ever made by a a, a public company Um, apparently they made between um, October and December 2014 they made 18 billion dollars of profit Uh, now if I've done my maths right that is 8 million dollars an hour of profit they make which is like it's hard to get your head around those figures isn't it Um, But the riches that we have in Christ, obviously they're not in dollars. uh, We can't measure them that way. But the riches we have in Christ are far above and beyond that. They are infinite. They are unsearchable. And Paul understands this, and he's joyful because of it. Uh, I guess I've been talking as if these two things must go hand in hand, being in prison and and knowing Christ. Obviously they don't. Um, The reason Paul was in chains um, was because he was going around preaching about it. So, so why, why did he do that? Why didn't he just kind of live, um, you know, quietly, quietly as a, as a saved Christian? Of the best of both worlds, I guess. Um, well, the reason is that he's been appointed by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He was winning thousands of people uh, to Christ through his ministry. And he considered this uh, an absolute privilege uh, Uh, he calls it, in verse 7, uh, the gift of God's grace. Even in prison, he's doing God's work, uh, confident of its infinitely higher value than any earthly suffering. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, it goes even further than that. I rejoice in what was suffered, he says. He doesn't just re- rejoice despite the suffering, but he rejoices in the suffering because of what it's achieving for God's kingdom. We see the same thing in chapter 1 of Philippians as well. Uh, He says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So this is awesome. Paul is absolutely delighted in his suffering because it means that people are coming to know Jesus and other Christians are being fearless in their evangelism. I think this is a great example uh, of how the gospel can shape uh, how we deal with suffering in our lives. If our, if our hearts and minds are captivated uh, by Jesus and by the grace and the, the riches and the glorious future that we have in him, then our circumstances will overtake us. Now obviously in in this country we're um, basically free to share the gospel with other people um, and and most of the suffering that we experience is not going to be as a direct result of that. So there's a difference here to what Paul is describing, but I think it's a great principle um, that we can also see our sufferings um, as an opportunity uh, to further God's kingdom. Obviously I'm not saying here that um, we should suppress our emotions. They are God-given, God made us that way. And, um, uh, and, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't suppress them. And um, we, we should be real about suffering as we've seen the Paul um, was. But it, it means that there'll be an underlying joy there, uh, that, that we have. And if you're in the midst of suffering right now and feel like it's overtaking you and crippling you, I don't want you to go away feeling guilty about that not in the slightest, that, that's not my intention we are broken, imperfect people and life is messy and it's hard and it's complex um, what, what Paul is, is giving us here is not a command but a promise um, that resource is available in the gospel um, to, for, for this to be our experience as well um, so it's good to spend time dwelling on the, on the riches that we have in Christ So secondly, uh, Paul is a humble steward We've already seen that Paul has been chosen by God As the preacher to the Gentiles Um, The way he puts it uh, in verse 2 Is that he's the administrator of God's grace That word administrator um, is sometimes translated as steward um, Which is why I've used it here And it fits a bit nicer as a heading Uh, it means someone who is given the job of looking after someone else's property Uh, and specifically God has commissioned Paul to be the steward of the mystery Uh, verse 3 into which Paul himself has special insight Uh, verse 4 this mystery is something which wasn't known previously which is why it's a mystery Uh, it was secret, it was hidden but what is this mystery that he's talking about? It's exactly what he's just told us, um, if if you're here, for the last part of chapter 2. That through the gospel, the Gentiles are included in God's plan of salvation. If we look down at verse 6, he puts it in three ways, what the mystery is. So the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, firstly. An heir is someone who uh, is destined to receive an inheritance. So for the Gentiles to be co-heirs with Israel, it means that they are entitled to the same inheritance that the Jews are. Uh, Secondly, there are members together of one body. There are not two bodies worshipping God in different ways, um, in in their own places. There is one single body, uh, of which all the members are of equal standing. And third, that they are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament, God makes promises to Israel from Abraham, uh, right the way up to the end of the Old Testament. And the Gentiles now share in all of those promises. Paul could not be clearer that his job, his whole reason for being even, is to show people that there is a new status quo. It's not the same as it was before. The mystery has been revealed. But isn't he being a little bit maybe arrogant here thinking that he's got this special knowledge you might think that but actually if we look closer, Paul is incredibly humble he's not trying to force his views down people's throats he's not trying to convince people to agree with his own ideas that he's come up with He is lovingly laying down the wonderful gospel which has saved him so that others might know it and, and my grasp is awesome truth. Uh, let's see how it's explained in the passage. Uh, first of all, we see that Paul didn't work any of this out uh, for himself, uh, it was given to him by God. Uh, verse 2 we've already looked at it, uh, the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Verse 5, it has now been revealed by the Spirit. Paul hasn't come up with these truths from his own head. He's not worked it out because he's really intelligent. It's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. It is God's truth, and he is simply God's mouthpiece. Uh, he also tells us that he holds this position by God's grace. It's not because he applied for the job and was the most qualified. It's not because he had the best CV, um, you know, the best, um, the best degree, or he, he'd done Duke of Edinburgh. Um, it wasn't because he had glowing references from the other apostles. Clearly, he'd been going around trying to kill them. Uh, verse seven: I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of His power. God chose to use him not because of any strength that he, he had particularly. But despite his weaknesses and Paul sees this as a huge privilege and we talked earlier about him having joined the gospel and his personal standing before God but it's also true that he has great joy in, in his position in his, his job and finally um, we see his humility in the way that he thinks uh, little of himself but much of Christ. We've already touched on verse 8. Paul calls himself less than the least of all the Lord's people. Uh, But in Christ are countless riches. In Christ God accomplished um, his eternal purposes. And in Christ we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Paul manages to share his own story and give his credentials while giving all the glory to God. This is another brilliant example to us all Christians are called to be stewards of the gospel and to to take that message and to to look after it to share it Uh, and since it's been made known to us by grace and and not because of any any of our merit um, we can share it confidently and humbly I think that's another great balance to strive for um, if we're Christians seeking to be stewards of God's word we're not, we're not to be arrogant and look down on people who don't believe because they're not in the club. Um, because the only reason that we have this knowledge is because God has revealed it to us by His grace. There's nothing in us that made God choose us. And equally, we're not to be apologetic um, in the sense of apologising rather than the whole field of apologetics. I'm not talking about that, but we, we shouldn't apologise. Uh, for sharing the gospel, or you know, we shouldn't wash it down or just uh, sit quietly, and um, because we don't want to be seen to be arrogant, we can confidently uh, tell people this truth because it's not come from us, but it's come from God, our creator and our savior. Uh, there's one other really important thing to say here, which is that uh, we're not only stewards of the gospel individually, but the church as a whole. Is two. Uh, verse 10, I don't know if you noticed when it was read. I mean, this, this just blows my mind. It says uh, that God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. To who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God's plan since the beginning was to keep the mystery hidden from everyone, earthly and heavenly beings, until it was made known through the church. Through us, isn't this just incredible and exciting to be a part of? Basically, the angels look at the church and they go, "Wow, we are a beautiful piece of artwork that God has put together. We're not just, um, you know, we're not we're not just randomly thrown together. He's been crafting uh, this since the beginning of the world." we are put together to um, to show how magnificent God is just think about that I mean you would, you would think the angels would already be aware of how awesome and magnificent God is wouldn't you but, but through the church they are, they are going wow he is even more amazing than we thought now I've quite a bit about Paul here I think I might have talked about Paul more than Paul talks about Paul. Um, He is a great example to us, I don't feel too bad about that. But of course Paul was still a man. He was still broken, he was still imperfect, um, like me and you. He's really just an imperfect copy um, of the ultimate example of joyful captive and humble steward, who is of course Jesus. Jesus knew captivity, he went through all kinds of suffering and pain, uh, but he rejoiced because he knew the final outcome. Hebrews 12:2 says, "For the joy set before him, he endured the cross." Uh, he was also sent to do a job. He was sent to warn people of the coming judgment and to die in our place. And um, even though he was God, he was still really humble in this. Philippians 2 says, "Being in very nature God." Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Real life is messy. We, we will suffer, and suffering is hard, but we have the resources available in the gospel uh, to deal with it in a different way, to have a different perspective personally I can't claim to know a great deal about suffering um, I've not had much experience of it in my life but Paul did and Jesus certainly did and their attitudes show us um, that, that suffering does not mean God is absent if that's what we think then we're looking at it the wrong way, we're looking at it from the wrong perspective And um, through the gospel we can see uh, that God's presence is there in our suffering because we are included in God's cosmic eternal plan of salvation we don't need to fall into despair when we suffer we have a glorious future through our suffering saviour Jesus Christ Uh, and not only that we are his workmanship we are his masterpiece we are chosen by grace uh, to have the mystery of the gospel revealed to us and to be stewards of it uh, in earth and in heaven what an immense privilege that is. So when you're thinking about these things, about suffering and about Christian service, uh, just think, have you got the right perspective? Have you got the right, the right picture? Are you looking at a, a blary, badly lit snapshot? Or do you have the clear manufacturer's photo? Let's pray.